I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? My apologies. So we didn't record Sunday. It's the 4th of July. I don't generally, you know me, I'm not going to be celebrating the 4th of July. I'm not in America. But obviously, Will and Greg both do live in America, and they were both celebrating the 4th of July. And it's just best to let everybody have some fun, right? So we didn't drop one on Monday. I'm a little bit late here today because I wanted to bring on the guest that I've got on. He's a colleague of mine, fellow Celtics blog extraordinaire. Michael Pierce, man. I mean, how's it going, Mike? Oh, it's great. You know, uh, thank you for having me. First off, you know, I've only been at Celtics Vlog for four months now, but I mean, I've had a ton of fun doing it. And the engagement of the audience here is insane. Um, it's honestly intimidating sometimes, but um, I'm really excited to, to be doing this. I've been doing sports journalism for like, I don't know, six, seven years now in some capacity and i'm just a huge fan um you know it's it's interesting um when i was a kid when i was like 12 or 13 whatever year paul george messed up his leg really bad at the usa uh tryouts i was trying to get on a website like this and um i actually got scammed um because i was 12 or 13 and they were like hey give us 25 dollars and you can be on the site and i was like Dude, absolutely. This is my dream. Like, I got to go for it. And um, I published like one or two stories and then the website ended up getting shut down. So <laughs> um, it's just awesome to be here and uh, part of the Celtics squad crew, you know. Yeah, that's crazy, man. Someone took advantage like that. That's yeah. uh, that's insane. I would not be pleased. We're going to, I'm going to speak to Will, after, uh, Michael, Will. I'm going to speak to Mike off there. And uh, we're going to name and shame these people. That's what we're going to do. I'm only joking. We're not going to do that. But no, we're ha- like, um, you came on. You've literally churned out some awesome articles. Your writing style is really unique. And you seem to read. It's really enjoyable to read. But the one that took my, took my attention, caught my attention, I should say, that I kind of spoke to you about on Green Room on Monday mm-hmm. was the article you wrote about Al Horford getting the starting minutes over Robert Williams. And one of my key points that I made that kind of agrees with what you're saying, but changes the narrative a little bit, is that just because you start doesn't mean you're going to get the lion's share of the minutes at that position, right? Like you can be a starter and average 20 minutes a night. It's just a status symbol. It's just one of those things. It's uh, it's like a blue check mark on Twitter. You could have it and still not know what you're talking about, or you could have it and still and be excellent. So you know, it's it's tough to kind of navigate. But I feel like you've done a really good job of exploring this. So um, first you. of all, do you just want to explain the premise for me and what led you to want to write that piece? Yeah, so um, mainly, honestly, NBA Instagram is one of the weirdest places that you'll ever be. Um, it is, it's like full of either 12-year-olds or like 30-year-olds who are trying to like build a brand. And there's a lot of opinions out there. So a lot of times I, I get distracted and I get caught up in it. Um, I'll go on my explore page on Instagram and I'll just look at like all these basketball opinions and be like, do I agree with this? What do I think? You know, whatever. Um, honestly, just as it's like one of those mindless things that I do, um, because sometimes it's pretty entertaining to, to see some opinions, you know? Um, but I, I, I follow a lot of Celtics fan accounts too. And I, and I saw a lot of Celtics fans coming to the consensus that they think Rob should be the starter. And I get it, you know, um, he's exciting. He's young, he's athletic. 
Um, his defense is insane when it's when it's on. But I just kept coming back in my head to like yeah, that that should be Horford. Like that's that should be his spot as like the starting five. And like you said, I I, I was like in my head, I was like, well, if he's a starter, I don't think he necessarily should receive more minutes because. He is older, and they're both. They both have struggled with injuries recently, so you know it makes sense to limit them both. But what I so what I did was when I started that article was I was thinking, okay, maybe instead of starting because that um, implies that you get more minutes, you go with primary big man. You know the main guy. That's mainly what I was going for with that. Was okay. I would be fine with Rob maybe receiving more minutes than Al, but. I want Al on the floor in crunch time. I want him in the on the floor with the Jays, and I want him on the floor when it matters the most. You know, in these in bigger games and in the playoffs, obviously playoff Al. We all know how that goes. But the consensus I saw otherwise was it should be Rob. And for me, Rob just hasn't shown me enough to earn that over someone like Al. And it's interesting the response I got after I put it out there. You know. Celtics, uh, Celtics blogs, people, they, they comment like mad. It's awesome. 182 comments on this, like it's fantastic engagement, you know, a lot of great discussions in the comments. And I do agree with some of the points of the people who want Rob because, um, Al is old. He has lost a step, but the point where I differ from them with where he lost his step is a lot of them say he's not fast enough. He's not quick enough. You know, his, he, you know, Rob is just way faster and quicker and more vertical. And while Horford is slow, (laughs) relatively, I'm sure he would wash us in a race, but while Horford is slow by NBA standards, and he's he's not exactly the best athlete, the only thing where I saw that he really lost a step was verticality, if anything. And, you know, that was never really even his game. So it's like, if, if he's, he's, you know, when I saw like a lot of OKC film and a lot of you know, more recent plays that he's made. There were a lot less of those classic alley-oop dunks or the put-back dunks and all those, you know, vertical plays. But it's like what made Horford great was not the verticality. It was never, you know, the high-flying dunks or the high-flying blocks. It's always up here. It's always his brain. And that hasn't changed. And when I was watching his, uh, clips of him in OKC, it's like he's still making incredibly intelligent plays. He's still – um, aware of all five guys at the same time on the floor. And he's just such a cerebral player. And I think that it's something you can't quantify, but it's something that's so important to a basketball team is just what you've got a guy out there who is just like a computer, just running through reads, running through what the defense is doing, calling things out on defense, which is just as important as your athletic ability on defense is communicating to the other four guys. That's what he's going to bring. And I just think that's, um, an incredible strength to add to a primary lineup with what I hope to be smart Fournier, Brown, Tatum, Horford. So the first thing I want to say is your um, IG comment hit me right to the core. Uh, I've not long moved over to Instagram. Uh, I'm still on Twitter primarily, but like, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm in my thirties. I'm trying to build a brand on Instagram. So uh, you described <laughs> me perfectly. Uh, thank you for that. No thank shame. You for, thank you for reminding me. There's millions of other people doing this. I'm only joking. Um, it was fun. No, completely. I completely agree. I see these takes get thrown around all over socials, on everywhere, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook. You see some wild stuff. And then you see some stuff that 
you can kind of get on board with, right? Like you want to read the comments and find that discussion. Nine times out of ten, I try and avoid that because you can get frustrated real quick. Um, but I agree. Like, so for me, what I did when Al Horford came back was I kind of ran through what would Jalen and Jason need to unlock them that little bit more, right? So you need a guy that can make passes from five out schemes. You need a guy that can run an elbow set along with Jason Tatum and give him go scenarios or you know, multiple wrinkles that you can run off that pistol or whatever you want it to be. You need somebody that can can control the rebound and control the boards, but not necessarily be a guy that can finish those rebounds, but that can facilitate a secondary offense, like hitting a guy like Jalen Brown cutting off the wing. And then you go to the offense, you need somebody that can space the floor due to their three-point shooting, somebody that can pick and pop a little bit in the mid-range from, from deep. Yes. And then when you look at what the Al Horford does everything you need, and I get it defensively, you're not going to want to be having him switching all the time because he's not going to have the foot speed anymore. Mm-hmm. But what he does have, as you said, is the IQ, the positional defense. Maybe when he does switch, he he switches into an anticipated position rather than switching directly onto a man. So it's kind of like a quasi-switching zone type of scenario. And we saw Stevens run that with Al previously because people forget that Al wasn't young when he left Boston. That was part of the reason Boston didn't want to extend the level of contract that Philadelphia did because the age was already a concern. And they ran that quasi-switching zone where Al would switch into space in anticipation rather than switch directly onto a guy. So... And then you look at Rob, and I agree with you. Like, look, Rob's going to give you the verticality, the vertical spacing there. Mm-hmm. I think at the moment, Al Horford's still the better passer, but Rob Williams has a trajectory to where he can become a way better passer than what Al Horford is. I just don't think that he's going to be healthy enough to ever fulfill that potential. You've got the chronic knee issues. You've had the hip edema. Now you've had the turf toe was freak. I get that. But there's just so many injuries that are stacking up on Rob Williams' um, resume that you have to bring in somebody like Al that's going to lead, by example, mentally and teach guys how to think the game rather than just react to the game. And that's always been a big thing for me is you um, anticipation over reaction, right? So you always want to be proactive rather than reactive. And with a guy like Al, your offense and defense is always going to um, occupy more in the proactive space than the reactive space. Yeah, 100%. And another thing that you added with the injury history is we all saw this year what happened when the Celtics didn't have consistency. And any NBA team, when you have such inconsistencies, you're going to struggle. It's a team game. It's a grind. It's a marathon season. Even this season with 72 games, you know, you really got to, you know, maintain consistency and, and keep your mindset locked in. And when guys are just coming in and out and you're missing so many people from COVID rules or injuries and anything like that, it's going to mess with everything. And I think that Al Horford um, is a very consistent NBA player, um, both um, in terms of his health, most of the time, you know, he has had a few injuries here and there, but he's, you know, six foot 10 and he's an athlete. So he's going to have injuries, but consistency, both in terms of health and in terms of his mentality and his energy level and his mindset and all of that, you know, you, you talked with Anna Horford um, a few weeks ago, and I listened to that one on a flight to Vegas, and I was just enthralled with how she described Al and how she described his mentality and his, his health coming up and everything like that. I mean, he is who he's always been. He's always been a professional. He's always been a no-nonsense, to-the-point type of guy. I mean, even in Atlanta, that's how he was. He was just Mr. Consistent, in and out, 
You know, you know what you're going to get from him. And I think that's so important coming off of last year and so important coming in with a new head coach in Ime Udoka. It's just, you want someone that you can count on. Uh, it's a cliche, but availability is the best ability. Every, you know, every boomer on ESPN says that. And it's because it's true. Um, and the Celtics are better when Rob does play for sure. Um, I looked it up. They're 20 and nine when he plays over 20 minutes in his career. That's an impressive record. He is an impressive player. That's why when I, when I put that out, I wasn't trying to, I, it's not like the thought of Robert Williams starting is, is ridiculous. It's very close in my mind because it is, they're just different, different strengths, you know, and it's, it's very interesting to compare the two um, moving into this season because it's a very interesting crossroads of where you get a player who is, has all the potential in the world, but just needs to make that next step and stay healthy. And then you've got another player who's more on the downswing, but he's consistent. He's solid. He's got an amazing on-court leadership presence and it's great. So it's a very interesting crossroads that I see. Um, I see you with this team. And um, the thing is too, everything that I wrote in that article could be immediately just thrown out the window when um, if Al looks, geriatric or if Rob looks electric you know and that's what's exciting about it is that um Rob still has the potential to make that leap and make Horford one of the best six men in the league so when I've been looking at it, and I agree um, a lot of it's going to look come down to how they fit in with whatever system Udoka wants to run mm-hmm. and how their physicality is going to stand up so is Rob Williams going to be healthy? Is he going to be able to play more more games this year, more regularly? Is Al going to be able to keep up with the pace of the game after basically sitting out half of the season and then going into a long off season as well? So there's a bunch of questions about both of them. Uh, when we're talking about defense, one thing that touching on is, again, when we're talking proactive and reactive, I do feel like Robert Williams' defense is very reactive. He's always his his athleticism kind of. Um, papers over some of the mistakes that he makes. Like, you'll see him chase down a block. But really, he got beat off the dribble, and now he's had to recover to, to actually get that block. And so while it has that wow factor, and you probably get blinded by the fact that block happens so you forget the breakdown that occurred leading up to the shot attempt, you're not going to have as much of that with Rob and uh, sorry, with Al. And I think that Al's presence there is actually going to be a, a big help to a lot of these guys in the way they approach the game, the way they watch their film. Um, I know that I've went, when I spoke to Anna this time and previously, she's like, Al Horford's going to bed at nine o'clock at night. Like, that's, it's bedtime. You know, you, you go into the club. Al's like, no, nah, it's bedtime. He'll wake up early, <laughs> get his filming, get his scouting reports done, make sure he knows his matchups. And it's that type of professionalism that I feel the Celtics have been missing for the last few years. Uh, probably since Al left, you know, you, when that Jay Crowder, Al Horford kind of influence on a team, once that's gone, you don't realise how much of an impact that's going to have, especially when your young stars are exactly that young, rising superstars with a bank full of money. Maybe not so much Tatum, because, you know, usually you're seeing with Deuce and he's not going to take Deuce to the club. It's but, different, yeah. Yeah, but there's still times where Tatum's going to want to go out, where really Al's going to be like, dude, don't do that. Come and watch film with me. Learn this matchup. Know, know your man. Or as um, basketball players like to say, KYP, know your personnel. And that's the type of influence that he can have. So even if he doesn't become a starter for this team, even if he's third behind 
Grant Williams, I doubt that's ever going to happen in any world. But even if he was, the influence he's going to have as a mentor to some of these guys and a returning voice of that's well-respected within that locker room, that brings a bunch of value to me regardless of how excellently or ridiculously poorly he plays, um, especially to start the year when he's still getting into the swing of things. Yeah, and I mean, when you have someone with Al Horford's eyes as well, those beautiful eyes, you know, you can't let them, that man down. You know, it's like looking into your father's eyes and you you just say, you know what, I'm going to go to bed early because I respect you. But um, in all seriousness, um, I think another thing that's that's very important about his, his return back to the court, um, specifically on court, is just, that unselfishness and that that quickness of, of passing too that um, you know in th- this past season we saw a lot of um, stagnant offense which led to the 27th and assists in the NBA that Ime talked about in his press conference and I think a lot of that is you lost players like Gordon Hayward and Horford um, in the past couple of years who are just smart decisive quick passers I, I don't even know how to describe it but it's like the ball is barely in their hand before they, they give it to the next guy. And we didn't have a lot of that on this 2020-2021 on this Celtics team. Of course, a lot of that is the consistency in the injuries. Um, you know, when you miss the most games in the league, you're going to have to have a little bit more of a stagnant, slow iso ball offense that runs through Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because they're your best options almost every time. But having a guy like, like Horford – Hayward, those type of passers, those instinctive, just, just I, I keep saying it, but they're just so smart, intelligent basketball players. Um, it unlocks not only more for Tatum and Brown, but it unlocks more for Neesmith, Langford, um, Pritchard, you know, when they share the floor. Um, and just like you said, with uh, keeping young guys in check with how Al is a little boring, goes to bed at 9 p.m., you know, um, a big part of that too is calming frustrations in the moment on the court. You see it with CP3 um, in Phoenix right now. You see when things start to go a little haywire, he's there to to right the ship, get him back on track, and keep it moving forward. And that's what I feel like Horford always did when he was in Boston. Um, you know, when things were getting out of control, there was always Al. Um, you know, if Jason Tatum two hand slams the ball on the ground again, Al's going to be like, "Hey, don't do that. You'll get a tech." You know, it's a BS rule, but you're going to get a tech. Watch out. It's it's those kind of things that I think are just so valuable, regardless of if he starts or not. Because, you know, if he comes off the bench, um, I could see Pritchard having a huge boost. I could see Neesmith really benefiting from that. Um, just that pick-and-pop threat with an, also a roll threat, because while Al isn't the roll threat that Rob is by any means, he is still a roll threat because he is a consistent smart post finisher and I've seen I saw clips this from this past season at OKC where he's making these intelligent post moves where he's going up and under he's splitting two guys with a nice little movement um so he still does have role gravity that's the main thing that I've heard against Horford I do agree with it he doesn't have the lob threat the bounce you know all that fun stuff but he still is a smart post finisher. And that's still a valuable skill. And, you know, a layup, while it's not as fun as a dunk, the same amount of points. I mean, you, you touched on something a moment ago where you're like, um, the Celtics don't have many guys that have great pass perception, pass recognition. They don't process that, that moment of time quickly enough. Then yeah. you look at Al Horford. If you want to talk about where his role threat's really coming from, 
for me, it's coming from the fact that he can create out of the pick and roll. He can be the role man and still end that play with an assist or a hockey assist because he's the type of guy that will short roll and swing the ball like with a skip pass to the corner or he's going to um, take a bigger roll, post someone up, wait for like um, a cross screen and then hit somebody out in the corner again. He's just one of those guys where... He's not going to care that he's got post position and he should shoot. He's going to care what the best basketball play is. And that's a huge difference, especially when you look at what we had in Tristan Thompson last year, that regardless of how covered he was when he pulled down rebounds, he was going straight back up. And um, yeah. for me, I miss Dennis Cantor in that respect a little bit because Cantor was just a better um, offensive rebound finisher. Um, but, in tr- but with Al Horford, he could get the rebound. He's not always looking to score. And that is a huge, important aspect that the Celtics have missed is somebody that cares more about making the right play rather than putting two points on the board because sometimes getting the offensive rebound resetting the offense and hitting a three is more demoralizing than just getting that quick put back and I think that's going to be a key aspect to look at as well Uh, with Rob Williams I think um, and I'm not taking anything away from Rob I think Rob's a fantastic player I just think that he's still raw He's coming into his fourth year in the league now, and he's barely been able to show what he can do. Every time he gets some momentum behind him, another injury comes up. And that's why I'm like, maybe when Rob sits, now we can see Moses Brown. Now we can see whether Al can find a new gear in Grant Williams. You know, maybe Al Horford is the guy to really have a word in Grant Williams' ear and help him figure out his unique and perplexing skill set that you feel like there's a player there you just don't know what sort of player that's going to be and I just think that there's a lot of options at at the five some of them are capable of sliding down to the four but none of them you really want there and I feel like focusing just on Alan Rob is a little bit disingenuous to Christian to Grant to Moses because these guys are all guys that can make impacts and I feel like at least two of them are going to be the odd man out yeah, I have I have a feeling that um, it's probably going to be Tristan and probably going to be Grant. Um, Tristan solely because of his value to other teams in the trade market um, and just you know the money too. Um, that's going to be able to get you get you some more in terms of a, a trade return. But I am interested in, in Moses Brown versus Grant Williams um, as far as maybe if one of them could could get through. It really depends on how Udoka views Grant, though, because if if he does view him as a small ball five, I think he's easily squeezed out. I don't think um, over. I think he's the the fifth option, not the fifth, maybe, but um, <laughs> maybe the fifth option. But anyways, um, it will be interesting to see how many of those those guys remain because I think you can't play Horford and Rob at the or Rob at the four. I've seen a lot of people saying, well, maybe play for, Horford at the four, Rob at the five. No. Uh, we saw in Philly that Horford at the four is, is, is not a viable option. Um, I mean, even though I was singing his praises in terms of his defensive IQ and the fact that I don't think he's lost too much of a step, there's no way in the modern NBA that he's playing fours. I mean, Tatum is a four. Um, Al Horford is not. So you do have a real log jam there still. Um, Cornette's probably getting waived, um, you know. 
And so you have five guys that I think are all very different. And it's interesting to see what the front office is going to prioritize. Will they prioritize the youth of Moses Brown? Will they prioritize the veteran leadership of Tristan Thompson to go with Al Horford? I don't know. I personally think Tristan Thompson is, is going to get moved, but I think if I had to keep one of those guys, I would keep Moses. And I know yeah. you've seen a lot of Moses. <laughs> I've watched an awful lot of Moses Brian footage. Um, I, agree. I think that by bringing Al in, you replace that veteran leadership you were hoping to get from Tristan Thompson. I think yeah. Tristan Thompson's leadership helps a bunch, but he's made it very clear he's only focused on the playoffs. That's where he really turns his game on. And while that's fine, for a team that's going through such a culture shift, I think that that's the type of um, mentality you want to move away from. You want to build winning habits in the regular season. And if you're not turning up to play like every game is a playoff game, then you're not going to build those habits and you're going to really struggle trying to when you do have to elevate. And so I think that Tristan Thompson is probably the most logical guy to move on from. I do think that Grant Williams has got something there, man. I think that I don't know what it is. I don't know whether he's going to get the minutes. I can understand. Personally, I've kind of, I'm fine moving on from him, but I don't think it would be a trade that we wouldn't look back on in three or four years and think, hey, he could have ended up being a good piece for the rotation in Boston. I think there is something there, but I just don't, Maybe it's one of those where he needs a move just to get the minutes to really figure himself out. Yeah, I'm unsure with him too. I think a lot of people are, are getting a little bit too too down on Grant. Um, he is a second-year player. Um, you know, he's not going to be a world beater. He wasn't drafted to be a world beater. Um, you know, he's not great, but I don't think he's like semi ojale bad where it's like, you know um, – this guy clearly needs to be moved. It's like you, you, you still see some stuff there, and it just seems like he's an awkward tweener. Um, I know someone on Celtics blog did an article about it this year, um, about how he's an interesting tweener, and I, it's so, it's so complex because he is like good at things that big men are good at, but he's built like a wing, like a thick wing. Um, but um, he reminds me, it's, it's funny because th- that's how I always described my basketball game on the court when whenever I would play, which wasn't that often. But um, it was like, I, I just wish I was like six foot eight because I feel like my, my skills are rebounding and post play and, and defense, but I'm five foot nine and um, scrawny as can be. So um, that's how I kind of feel Grant is. It's like, he's miscast. You know what I mean? It's like, um, it's like almost there, but just just off. And the body doesn't match the skill set. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like what can you do? But also, um, I feel like if he started developing a better offensive game, he would find a role as sort of a diet Draymond. Um, very diet. Don't you know? <laughs> Draymond is insane on defense. Like Draymond but, zero. Yeah, you know, like um, he's like the Crystal Pepsi of Draymond. Um, and Draymond's the regular Pepsi. Um, it's just that versatility and that that thickness and that strength that is very valuable in certain roles, but it just seems like he hasn't found his correct spot. And I don't know if that spot's ever going to be in Boston because when you have Jalen and Jason, it kind of limits where Grant really fits in. I feel like Grant would be um, more of like a – like a Nets player to me, you know, where he comes in, he does his thing, 
and he only does that one thing. Um, but on a team that needs more from him, I don't think he really fits in as much, and that's the interesting uh, crossroad. I'd, I'd like um, I'd like to see him somewhere like Detroit, where there's just loads of bigs. I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't mind seeing him on a contending team. I don't mind seeing him on a rebuilding team. I just think that he does need to be put in positions where he can affect the game. So, you know, you want offense running through him in short roll situations. You want him running dribble handoffs. You want him uh, distributing from the elbows and then maybe getting some post-up touches. And then again, he's become reliable from the corners. Um, he is a floor spacer and the Celtics don't have too many of those guys at five. Um, and I think that's important to note as well. Like outside of Horford and Grant, none of your three big men are going to be shooting threes. Uh, I've been screaming, begging, pleading to start seeing Rob Williams take more mid-range, oh, mid-range pull-ups off the short roll. Uh, I because agree. I just think that he, if you build out from there, you can start envisioning a three-point shot down the line. Um, kind of like what we saw happen with Brooke Lopez, right? Do you remember when Brooke was just a, a back-to-the-basket mm-hmm. guard? But again, you need to be on the court to start working on that. And they, these are all the issues I've got. But I think that Grant's ability to score for, from the corners to be able to stretch the floor a little bit from the from the top of the perimeter, from the break, or on the wings, uh, is going to hold a lot of value. And that might actually mean he starts getting minutes over the Moses Brown, over Tristan Thompson, if he's still there and they're trying to move on from him. Because that floor spacing will become invaluable. Yeah, and that's why I called him Crystal Pepsi Draymond, because when Draymond was at his peak, he was hitting threes more than he is now. Um, but... I think it's interesting to see um, Moses, you know, you highlighted a lot of the defensive ineptitudes and um, I've seen a ton of clips on Twitter. Once uh, Moses got traded here of him just being absolutely lost. And um, I think he's an interesting project. And the reason I would want him over maybe Grant or maybe, or definitely trips Tristan on the roster um, is because just that si- that frame, that size, you know, hopefully he could get taught to be a little more smarter little more smarter yeah ironic right on defense he 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 needs that defensive iq and that's maybe where horford could come in um but back to rob with that that mid-range shot it reminds me of the way Giannis approached his jump shot reworking which is still in progress but um it's it's like you wanted you needed to start taking them because and you need to start taking them to start hitting them and then you need to get that respect because that respect is almost more important than actually making the shots. Not almost more important, but, you know, hyperbolic. It's a little close. Um, it's important to get that respect, to draw the defenders out. That's why Horford, even if he hits, you know, low 30% of his threes, um, he's still going to get that respect on the, on the outside. He's going to get that respect in the mid-range. He's going to get that respect along the three-point line. And it's going to draw defenders out. And, that's incredibly important, especially when you're working with guys like Jalen and Jason who could find those holes in the defense. You know, even Smart could find, you know, find a cutting lane and go for a layup off of a, you know, Horford pump fake from 20 feet out. It's stuff like that that unlocks so many other things that you don't even really think about other than just hitting mid-range shots to hit mid-range shots. That's why another reason why I think I, I want to see Horford as the primary big because just the floor spacing is so much better and the defense has to pay attention to so many more things. You know, if Rob Williams is drifting out to that three point line, you can just sort of disregard him until he begins moving in a little more. But if Al Horford is out there on that three point line, you gotta, you gotta stay on him 
just a little more. So I like the way you're saying, look, it, it causes teams to respect you. And it brings me back to, um, I remember reading Basketball on Paper. I think it, the author was Dean Oliver. Um, honestly, it's a really tough book to get into because it's so numbers-based. But I always remember this one line, and it was, a basketball player never enters a game remembering what your scoring percentages are. All they know is how often you shoot from this, from certain spots. So volume of shots create gravity more than percent your, your shooting percentage. Obviously, if you name Steph Curry, then nobody really needs to care. They just know you're going to score on them. But if you're talking yeah. about Al Horford, if, you, if you're like, right, we know he's going to take four attempts from above the break. Now, every time you get the ball, they don't. all they think is he's likely to shoot. They have to close out on you. Same on the wing, same in the mid-range. They don't think, oh, he's going to miss. They're just like, he's going to shoot. Because it doesn't matter if you score or miss. An offensive rebound could still be there. It could be a long rebound that falls back into an offensive player's hands. And um, I've always looked at it like that. Like When we talk about shooting gravity, scoring gravity, I never think of it as, hey, this guy's hits 60% of his attempts, but only takes two a game. A guy take, hitting, so it'd be 50%, wouldn't be 60. So a guy hitting 50% on two attempts a game won't have the same gravity as a guy shooting 20% on five attempts a game because those five attempts will make defenses close out on you more. And that's why non-shooters are generally a problem. Like, um, like a Rob Williams, he's never going to shoot from the three. So you can sag because you have to anticipate that role. And that's why I do think that Grant Williams and Al Horford both have a bit of an edge in possibly getting bumps in minutes. Um, I don't want everyone yeah, and... to be mad at me but by saying that Grant could get a bump. I definitely don't think he's going to play more than Rob, just to cover myself there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good cover. You would have a lot of pitchforks in the in the Twitter reply. But, um, yeah, I mean, you look at that with Trey Young, this entire playoffs – he is horrifically inefficient, but who cares? Because he pulls the defense out to him at the half court line, opens up so many things for other people. Um, you know, same thing with Steph Curry. Those are extreme examples, but like you said, scoring gravity does really matter. Um, spacing is huge um, in today's NBA, and when, and even for Rob too, hitting those shots and growing his respect from the defense with his jump shot will open up so much more for him too. It won't just open up more for everybody else. It'll open up more for him where, you know, he will have more room to drive um, instead of having to just roll because if there's a defender on him, you know, they're a little slower, he can blow by him. Maybe, um, you know, get a driving dunk, some stuff like that where um, right now it's not as much of an option because you don't have anyone meeting him up at the elbow meeting, you know, meeting him near the three-point line. So they're walling up and they're saying, we're daring you to shoot. You're not going to come in this paint. Um, if you could get around more of that, I think he could see a lot more easy looks, um, easy looks that he can create for himself too, which just further expands upon his game, helps the team in terms of, you know, the attention the defense has to pay. If now Rob can create his own shot in his own way, you know, he's not going to be, um, between the legs, dribbling, Lou will fade away. But, you know, he's he, if he becomes a mid-range threat, at least from spot-up attempts, you know, he will gain more respect and the lanes will open for him as well. Um, but, yeah, I think, um, I think something that I also thought of that was interesting with Robin Horford is that 
I feel like if Al Horford was coming to this team next year and not this year, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. I think it would be Rob, 100%. Um, but because of where we are in this moment of time, it's a debate. And it's interesting because Rob hasn't shown enough. But I think this season he has the potential as long as he just um, you know, continues working and continues to stay in shape and healthy and everything. It's going to be... I'm going to – I might look stupid. That's all I'm going to say. I think um, maybe I'm succumbing to the hype like everybody else, but I do think that Rob has the potential to blow blow by Al this year in terms of um, his value just because he has improved steadily each year. And, you know – when he was in the, that game against Brooklyn in the playoffs was tremendous. He was a force on the defensive end. And if he can lock into that zone and stay healthy and have more consistent games like that, where he's flirting with a triple double with a defensive stat, I, I don't think it's going to be a question, but for now with his um, room to grow and Horford's just intangibles, I think it should be Horford, but man, um, I remember watching that game one against Brooklyn and I was in awe of what Rob was doing out there. And like you said, some of it is he gets behind and he has to make it up with his athleticism, which you see with also Romeo too, who I've been looking at a lot um, for Celtics blog, but he, his athletic ability is just far leaps and bounds above someone like Romeo. And that's why he's able to get nine blocks in the game. Um, I just think that if Rob can get the same sort of defensive IQ that Horford has now, watch out because that man will be a problem. Yeah, for me, it's like Rob, for me, is this is a make or break year for him coming up. Um, mm-hmm. It's contract year, so we generally generally see guys elevate their level of play. If you're going to have a breakout year, it's usually in you coming up to your first contract renewal. But again, it's also about proving health. Like, I think that the majority of the skill set required to become the primary big man on the Celtics, Rob already possesses. It's just about smoothing those edges out at this point. He's stopped biting on every pump fake. He stays grounded and uses Oh, my God, yeah. He rotates quicker. He's he, pro, he, um, he understands where he needs to be positionally at this point. All you need to do now is start smoothing out the edges. But again, if you're missing... 20 to 40 games because of random injuries that just keep coming up. Well, unfortunately, thank you. We understand your talent level is ridiculous. Your shelf life in the NBA is quite short anyway because without you, you're, you're such an explosive athletic big that can't stretch the floor. That unless you really diversify your game, a la Blake Griffin, your shelf life is always going to be a shorter career. And we're not going to keep you around knowing that you're going to continually be on in the treatment room rather than on the floor. So that's the only thing holding Rob back now is his own body. Because skill set wise, I personally think he's ready. I think if, if he's not the starter to, the primary to start the year and stays healthy, uh, before the All-Star break, he will be the primary big. Um, I, I think it will be that quick and that prominent of a, uh, a rise. But it does need to be managed accordingly i would rather him come off the bench for the first few weeks just to see how his body reacts get your sports scientist testing how those muscles are repairing how his knees are holding up how his hips are come 
coping with all the explosive movements. And it might just be that no matter how talented Rub is, he will always be suited to a, better to a bench role because of that those, those physical limitations due to the injuries he's had. And that's completely fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, everyone wants him, obviously, to be uh, a starter and a huge piece of the future because, I mean, you want that from every player. But some guys are just meant to be sixth men and short burst guys, even if they're even if they do start they're burst guys. And Rob has a ton of burst. Um, Those type of players, similar to how Horford affects the game with his mindset. You know, Rob will affect the game with his energy just as much. And there's guys like that who you see that on plenty of other teams. I mean, Montrez, when he was in six-man consideration, was like that. You know, um, geez, I'm trying to think. I feel like Isaiah Stewart was that this season for the Pistons as a rookie, which is impressive. Um, little uh, Detroit He's love. such a throwback, dude. Such a mm-hmm. throwback big man. We're talking about bigs that don't stretch the floor. Or Isaiah Stewart's one of those guys, but he's so physically mm-hmm. dominant. And that's the thing is like, you know, those players are really good too. And But it's just like at a certain point, there is a there is a cap on a player like Rob Williams in my mind, unless he can start doing a little more shooting because you see it with, um, with Gobert even. I mean, Gobert is a three-time defensive player of the year, but his offensive liabilities and some of his perimeter defense liabilities, which I don't think Rob has, so it's not a perfect comparison. But the offensive liabilities do – hamstring the jazz sometimes because you know they need rudy out there for defense but there's not a whole other side of the ball it's, you know um it's just stuff like that where it's in this nba you see a lot of versatility and you see a lot of um flexibility as um you know Eme and wick and, and brad and we're talking about flexibility and that flexibility is obtained through having players who can do it all. And until you can do it all, you kind of have a cap on what you really can be. Um, And I just think Horford raises this team's potential for contending a little more. And I think some people are saying, why are you wanting to contend? You know, put Rob in there and develop him. But when you have Jalen and Jason and and Marcus, you want to contend. And we've seen in this playoffs, you know, anything can happen when you get to – the playoffs and if the Celtics are a two uh, not two but maybe like a three or four seed this season they could easily compete for a championship I mean you have players going down all over the place injuries are always happening you know sometimes you just have a series where you all collectively band together and take them down there's so many things that can happen when you get to the playoffs and it's like when you have um an all-NBA player an all-star beside him and one of the better defensive guards still even though he took a step back in the league and Marcus Smart it's it's like you want to compete and they want to compete and splitting Horford and Rob a little more and maybe giving some preferential treatment to Horford in, in crunch time and big moments it'll help you contend and that's where I'm at and that's why I want it to be Horford because I do think it's, it's still a contending season um, you don't want to waste a single year of Jalen and Jason and that's number one priority I mean, the other side, the other flip side to that as well is iron sharpens iron. So having these guys have to fight for those minutes is just as important. It's imperative to keep these guys sharp and improving by having someone like Horford there that's going to force Mm -hmm. that development. Yeah, and bring in someone that they 
previously respected and liked, you know, that's awesome. And that's huge for team chemistry. And a lot of, you know, Celtics fans have felt the team hasn't had chemistry since Al Horford left. And, um, there's, there's a lot of nuance to it though, which is why I love, I love talking about this. And I think it's one of the most interesting things heading into the season that, and, um, you know, what happens with guys like Tristan, um, those things are just so interesting because you have like a new coach in Ime Udoka who, like you said on the podcast before, you don't know what he's going to do. You don't know what he's going to prefer. And um, it's all just conjecture and, um, you know, what about isms. But I think um, the mental aspect of the game is bigger than most people want to give it credit for. And I think that Al Horford is just so cerebral. He's a quarterback out there. You know, he's, he's the center in terms of uh, American football terms. <laughs> I think that pretty much wraps us up. The one thing I do want to kind of give myself a disclaimer here was, was when I was talking about volume equals scoring gravity. Um, if you don't shoot consistently over a large period of time and you do what Giannis did in one of those playoff games and then just decide to jack up eight threes and hit one or <laughs> however many it was, that's not going to work. It has to be a consistent period of time to, to create yeah. that gravity. One game does not create that gravity. I just want to put that out there because I, I just envisioned myself getting some responses on that. Um, and again, that's not my quote. I've taken it from a book. Look, Mike, I think you've done um, that article is fantastic. I really wanted to speak to you about your reasoning. Um, I think we've explored quite a few different avenues of why Rob should be the long-term option, but Al Horford makes more sense now. Uh, before we go, do you want to let everyone know where they can find you on socials, any um, projects you've got going on or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can catch me on Twitter, uh, PierceM10, P-E-A-R-C-E, um, spelled the uh, the abnormal way. PierceM10 on Twitter. Um, I'll be doing stuff for Celtics blog still, um, trying to really hit the ground running this summer and just do as much as I can. I want to explore a lot of different things. I want to um, try to think about things in ways that people haven't before. I just put out an article recently on Marcus Smart and efficiency and how I think that, um, similar to what we talked about actually earlier, that efficiency is a little overrated um, when people are evaluating players because I've seen so many Celtics fans um, criticizing Marcus Smart for poor efficiency. And when we're looking for players, they always point to efficiency. I know people have talked to you about Ricky Rubio and saying, oh, he doesn't shoot efficiently. And you're just like, I don't care about that. That's not what I want Ricky Rubio for. And that's what really I was getting at is that, you know, not every player has to be efficient. Not every player needs to be efficient. Um, it's not that important always to be efficient. So um, check that out if you want. Um, smart truthers will love it. Smart haters will hate it. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a little pro smart for sure, but um, it's also a, a wider commentary on efficiency as a stat. Um, so I hope you guys check that out. Um, and yeah, that's that's what I got going on right now. Uh, I live in Michigan. I'm trying to find a job around Detroit doing some journalism here, but still going to be going strong on Celtics blogs. So you can catch me there always. Okay, everybody, make sure to go check out Mike, um, Mike's work. Make sure to shoot him a follow on socials. He will be back. Um, he's doing too many good articles back to back. So, um, you know, just I didn't blow it. Well, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, <laughs> but no, seriously, like your articles create good discussion points. So there's going to be scope for us to have more discussions. That's how it works, right? Um, I've had a great time speaking with you, man. Everybody listening, as usual, if you're able to, please leave that five-star written review. If you're an Apple user, just scroll to the bottom of your 
um, iTunes, and then you can leave the five star and type something nice. Makes me feel incredibly good. Um, makes me know I'm doing a good job. If you didn't like the show, please don't leave a bad review. My DMs are open. I'm happy to take any criticisms, take them into account, and try and improve. Um, if you're not using an iPhone or an Apple device, then word of mouth helps a bunch. You know, if you're in the office at the water cooler, mention the podcast to whoever you're working with. If you're in the car with your boys, put it on. If you're in the car with your girls, put it on. Whatever you need to do to make more people aware, I'll be more than grateful. I hope everybody had a good 4th of July. We're back to regularly scheduled programming now, so I will be back again on Friday with... Who's my Friday? It'll be Will with Will. Um, Until then, stay safe, and thank you again, Michael. No problem. Thanks for having me. It was awesome.